0: Thinking behind, think it all. behind it all with Melusine knives. The thinking behind it all. Welcome to the 26th edition of TTBRA, Thinking Behind It All, your pro-black podcast in which we critique news stories from a critical literacy perspective, of course making reference to sociopolitical theories as well. We do not claim to speak on behalf of all black people across the globe. We do have differing views and we respect that. Thank you for joining us for this episode and also being part of our social media communities. We are on Facebook. The thinking behind it all, that's our page. And you can follow us on Twitter at TTBIA underscore at TTBIA underscore. Remember that you can also get updates on the TTBI community group, which is on WhatsApp. We are also running an initiative in which we are trying to assist families who have missing children. So if you know any communities who are in need of getting the word out there, when children are missing please spread the word and let them know that ttbia is more than willing to make use of its platforms with me this week i've got ricardo and busi hello guys how are you doing
1: hey hey, hey. You good by the
0: way guys i just want to share some good news with you we have over a thousand lessons So, um, I'd just like to say thank you to all the people that have been supporting TTBIA since the beginning and who continue to listen to us. I think it's quite exciting that we've reached this milestone.
2: Yeah, Yeah, definitely. The usual suspect perspective.
0: Okay, for this week's USP section, I would like to discuss with you guys the media call to boycott press conferences that are held by donald trump donald trump is the president of the united states for those who are not in the know and it has been said and claimed by many that he's been quite hostile to the media likewise he's also said that the media is unfair towards him And spreading lies about him this has led to several altercations in media conferences in which in the most recent one he revoked the press card of a cnn journalist so i'd like to talk to you guys about the media discussions and i believe they're also happening on social media about whether there should be a boycott As a form of protest Of Donald Trump's Media conferences And I would like to hear What are your views Well we are a pro-black group We do have Perspectives on this matter And it's quite important for us To also add our voice With regards to this Ricardo let's start with you Since it's your home country And your
2: beloved <clears throat> president All <laughs> right. As beloved as a beast thing. Um, so... <laughs> yes, I believe that although it is nice to hear it said, I think doing it and actually bringing it to practice would be a bad idea. Because all we'd have is then a one side of an argument presented to the, to the masses. And I think that would be more detrimental than the symbolic act of boycotting um his press conference
0: Bushy, do you think it plays into the narrative that the president is trying to spin already that the liberal media is anti-him and his administration
1: not necessarily because i think what they're fighting for what it sounds like it's more the ability to practice their first and fifth amendment right which is what cnn has brought forward with their case against the presidency so I mean, if you listen to what they're saying is that we don't want to be repressed and how we want to express or write about the president as opposed to we don't like him. So we want the right to write badly about him. And I don't think that's what they're saying. Um, so I think, yeah, I think they are different things. And I think obviously the Trump camp is going to try and twist it in that particular direction and say you guys just want the right to, to write badly.
0: But we can say though, I mean, he will be able to say and proclaim even louder that you see, they don't even want to come to my press conferences for the reason that they want to depict me in the most heinous
2: way. Oh yeah, that's Yeah, of course, that's what he's going to say. Uh, one of his rhetoric will... Be, yeah.
0: And how do you think the populace is going to receive it, Ricardo?
2: It's so interesting because although many, if not all, Americans acknowledge the importance of a media not controlled by government right we also well not we all but many people also view media as very divisive um very partial and propagandist so there's gonna be a large part of the population that will look in this and go you see they're taking sides and they're gonna completely conflate the argument that we're talking about because this is just the times in which we find ourselves where um arguments are often made not for the sake of finding truth but for the sake of pushing an agenda um mm. so i i think we're going to see a lot of backlash against the media for this boycott actually
0: yeah you know, i don't feel that this is going to be Beneficial, I think perhaps there's another way that they could protest or show their dissatisfaction if they feel that they are abused to a large extent. I think that not attending, I see it as counterproductive and it doesn't even give you an opportunity to reveal the antics that you are often talking about or reporting. To your various constituencies. But
1: guys, let's think about it. You cannot not cover Trump for like a day. Like, can you imagine what that man can do in a day? And if they didn't cover him, and we wouldn't know what this man is doing, right? Like, actually, and that's what it comes down to. Trump is known for doing a lot of things and saying a lot of things. And so it would be detrimental to the public not to know what's happening. I mean, I can only imagine what you decide on the day that they decide to boycott him. But I do think that the court case will be more effective um, because I mm-hmm. think um, in the past there's been a case about that. I think it was in the 1960s I want to say where there was a case against the presidency of, this, of a similar nature um, where a particular correspondent was basically kicked out of the.
0: They're always doing it, Yeah, in America, in anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I, I, in what do <laughs> but you mean? can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> But imagine If, can sue you, if they can sue you for
0: having a bad burger in America, surely they can sue the president for getting rid of a journalist. Like, good.
1: Uh, uh, uh. I would
2: McConnell? just so sue somebody over a bad burger, by the way. Yeah, would <laughs> I mean, really sued. bad. <laughs> I, could, I could, hey, man. I love my Americans have rights, okay? I really They've
1: got rights. <laughs> you don't have rights like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh envy
2: i know envy this is what we're hearing fellas ladies and gentlemen <laughs> how does this affect uh
0: groups like us though the, these talks about boycotting
2: Trump. you see and, and here's the thing i feel that specifically these small minority owned publications right which there are some in the united states and globally too right and the independent journalists who are minorities i could feel them feeling pressured to join such a boycott because just by pure numbers they're more likely to be the ones who are being denigrated by this administration right but i think it's more important for them to stand up for the people who they're trying to give information to than their journalistic brothers and sisters in this specific instance. I could just see that pressure wearing down on especially a person who's maybe in a small paper and this solidarity, if a boycott was to go forth, um, would would help them in that standing, you know?
0: Busy, what's your take? I mean, most of the people talking and pushing maybe for the boycott are mainly white corporations. And surely that as an element, you know, it's like white folk having their own in-house fighting at the moment.
1: <laughs> no, I think for small um, organizations like us, because we rely, and I'm, I'm imagining that a lot of small entities like us do rely on the mainstream media, right? To be able to disseminate information or to analyze information and so forth. So obviously it's by will be forced to join the boycott by default, right? Because we don't have access to the presidency like they do. So we don't get to be like, hey, we still going to go even if you don't go. You know, on the social
0: media, see?
1: The social media, Trump is on social media. No, but I mean, like, you know how he's got the presidential briefings, right? Like if no one shows up to that, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like there's things that he says on social media, but there's also other things that we get from the newspaper, right? He's not always tweeting about his terrible policies. <laughs> and you know so um especially progressions in that right like he'll post his personal opinions about immigrants and so forth but he won't be posting like i've ordered 5000 ICE members to go and arrest the people you know what i mean he won't post that and those are that's important things that we need to know as a society right i think
2: that fox news um supporting the lawsuit that cnn has brought forth for the uh taking away of the press card of the their journalists i think that's very telling that fox news would back such a play because i think they realized the importance of media and access to the presidency and you know in two years time or six years time when and if there's another um maybe more liberal administration I, don't, I think they're doing it because they wouldn't want their journalists treated in the same fashion for asking a question that another administration doesn't like um, being subjected to this kind of treatment so it does show that there's even honor amongst thieves for real so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you have any other comment about the possible boycott of President Donald Trump's media briefings and how we view it please go to our Facebook page the thinking behind it all let us know what your views are or you can go on twitter at TTBa underscore on these platforms you can also give us your feedback ask us queries criticize us and let us know what you think of our work, work.
2: weekend, Jamel Roberson, a security guard for a bar in Robinson, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago, was shot and killed by police. Roberson actually had just apprehended and subdued a person who walked into the bar with a gun and started shooting. He held the person at bay until police arrived, and he was shot and killed shortly thereafter. Jamel Roberson did have a gun on his person, And had a permit to own a gun. Interestingly enough, some media reports are making point of the fact that he didn't have a concealed-to-carry license. I don't think this is necessarily relevant to the story. I think it's more distracting because if he had a concealed-to-carry license, I don't think it would affect the outcome of the shooting itself. Many would say that this is just adding information for full disclosure. I look at it as a way of deflecting the actual incident and finding a way to place blame on Jamel Roberson. Let us quickly examine some of the headlines over this shooting. Now, this is from Fox News, and this is shortly after the incident happened over the weekend. Cop accidentally kills security guard at Chicago Bar. Fair enough. I think it's interesting that they use the word accidentally kills. Why do we assume this was an accident? There has been no investigation, no formal inquiry. So why would a journalistic publication just assume that this was an accident? Jamel Roberson's family decided to sue the illinois police now the fox news headline once this news breaks family of black security guard fatally shot by police sue illinois police department once we get into the topic of culpability his race is important in the telling of the story for fox news in other publications such as msnbc cnn and usa today Race was brought up right away. The word accidental was not used in the headlines. One of the headlines for USA Today, police gunned down black security guard who detained suspect. (laughs) I think this is apt being to the propensity of black men being shot by white police officers. The way that media portrays stories, the simple wordings, the adding and subtracting of accidentally, or black, can really transform how one reads and interprets a story.
0: Ricardo, this story has taken time to get some traction, at least, in the media. Do you think it's because people, and by that I mean journalists and editors, are a bit cautious on how to approach the story?
2: I think it's more to the distraction of Donald Trump being in France and him and Emmanuel uh, Macron getting into it. And uh, I think that just superseded this story um, early in the week week's news cycle.
0: So it's a matter of a global story or a, a couple of white men having a pissing contest that the story kind of took a backseat
2: yeah. <laughs> and, and essentially, yes. Um, mm-hmm. I think the international story trumped, no pun intended, the more national story
0: But yeah, what do you make of the tone that is used by various media outlets? You know, you have the quote-unquote more liberal media outright going with the raw facts of what happened and perhaps even taking a bit of a sympathetic tone to the incident. Where conservative media are trying to frame it in a legal way and trying to build a defense for the police as an institution
1: so i think liberal media has covered it in a this is an unfortunate incident right like it's covered it as if it's a poor man who died by accident as opposed to looking at it as a systematic issue as in, why did it Mm -hmm. actually happen like why does a white cop shoot a black man who's clearly wearing something that says security on it what is this distrust of black people why can't they trust that he's the security and the helper in this situation right so I think um, that's my problem with the liberal side of it. And the conservative part of it, obviously I, I'm not expecting sympathy from them ever for any of these things, right? When do they ever really care about black bodies being killed? I don't think I was expecting anything different. I knew that they was going to try and use some sort of way to kind of say, well, it makes sense, which is what they always do, right? Mm-hmm.
0: But R- Ricky though, I mean, the sympathetic tone Yes, you know, it it perhaps doesn't get a lot of scrutiny from the average person on the street. At best, you can say at least the family had a voice in this particular story. The community and the people that knew this person had something to say. But we do want to move the discussion ahead. Uh, As Busi has pointed out, where we perhaps need a tone that is more critical of the systemic injustice that's playing
2: out here Mm -hmm. i think and just speaking for myself as this one black man um i would like to see more not a lot more outrage not for the specific incident but for the causes of these incidents you know it's almost like you know when um In the United States when there's a mass shooting which there seems to be one every other week you always see politicians thoughts and prayers and it's reached to the point where people are saying well your thoughts and prayers obviously is not working you know i mean we need actual action and i feel this is the same thing that many people that i'm speaking to in my local black community feel that we would like the media to speak with our outrage as well as our sympathy and condolences and the humanization of these victims.
0: When we look at slavery, it didn't just come to an end because people were thinking about uh, prayer and hoping and so on and so forth (laughs) while they were saying, oh, it's still fine to have a nigga on your fields. At the end of the day, people saw that it was an injustice and systemically something had to be done to change it Mm. Yeah.
1: yeah absolutely and i think part of the the reason why it's being covered in this way is because i think um liberal media can't or not liberal media americans in general can't reconcile this notion of the scary black man being the hero and being shot right like it's like Well, why couldn't he be a terrible person that like, you know what I mean? You know how they always come up with all these stories about how he was a bad person and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so forth. In Mm -hmm. this case, he was a good man, a good father who was studying to become a policeman, Uh right? Uh And it's like people just don't know how to reconcile all these different belief systems that they have around black people, around policemen, around the system and so forth so I think it's very revealing and how people are tiptoeing around it almost right it's like yeah, oh how do I write an article yeah <laughs> how do I write an article that doesn't make people angry you know what I mean or yeah. make the police look bad or you know what I mean so I think right now I'd even ask for just you know those thoughts and prayers they're always sending at least that like that level of sympathy not just oh it was an accident more like oh we feel sorry for this family they just lost a dad you know and we are sending thoughts and prayers to them right we're sending our condolences just the same way that they do for other people
0: ricky though i mean usually when it comes to catastrophes and tragedies you get media having expert opinions to scrutinize and be critical of what went wrong and how it needs to be fixed have there been excessive articles on the quote-unquote expert opinion when it comes to this particular matter. Not that previous matters no. have warranted such thing.
2: No, and and so here's the thing. Um, I think people are not drawing certain parallels, at least in my opinion. So I think the gun debate plays into this, as well as race. So you know, America is a society where guns in many areas are commonplace right law enforcement have to deal with this reality where literally anyone can have a gun Uh, i just saw a study released uh this past week that there are supposedly more guns than people in the united states right so when you're in law enforcement and you're faced with this unlike let's say just for argument's sake the uk where their jobs are just as dangerous but i think there's a certain level of assurance when you know chances are this person doesn't have a gun right you can approach a situation much more differently than here in the united states now add that to the fact that black people specifically black men are just thought of as criminal more likely than not their their actions are 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 interpreted as aggressive more often than than white men right and so you put this all together and you get things like this. Now, since most media wants to stay clear in the gun debate as far as having a concrete opinion on it, that's where you see a lot of tippy around issues like this specifically. So, no, there has been no critical analysis of why this thing can happen. And, um, no, there's, there's no breaking down of it.
0: Bussi, do you think that we are expecting too much from a nation that already can't even deal with its own mass shooting problems? I mean, when we have those incidents occurring, that's when we are likely to see the debate playing out pertaining to control
1: I think there's two things happening here right because there's gun control and there's police gun control Mm -hmm. which are two different slightly different things right because when it comes to police gun control it's about how they treat black bodies versus other bodies because even with the mass shootings we see that when they arrest the the white shooter they don't shoot him right Right. there's a difference Mm -hmm. in who gets Mm -hmm. shot whereas when we talk about gun control as a general topic we're talking about about who has the right to own guns and usually it also means black people can't have guns really right Mm -hmm. because we are distrusting Mm -hmm. of black bodies with guns we're not expecting too much I think these are connected but also separate ish topics and obviously right now in this particular story they're interacting so we have to kind of deal with that but also we have to deal with you know the police gun control versus gun control as an American phenomenon Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, it would be nice if the progressive section of the population really took this matter to heart and addressed it with the same vigor that they address other political issues though wouldn't Mm -hmm. you say Ricardo?
2: just to piggyback off of that where are the conservatives i mean if you can have a gun and be a hero and still be killed shouldn't that be a problem for them where's the nra right because if the nra is saying anyone should be allowed to carry their gun as long as they have the right documentation this that and the third and a man literally saved lives here mm-hmm. and he yeah, and I say
1: up. where's his employer why is his employer not coming forward and saying this is this person's job to protect mm-hmm. and that's why they have the gun right because it's not mm-hmm. like he's an ordinary citizen who's carrying a gun right this right. is a security this is his job his job mm-hmm. is to protect and it requires having a gun mm On the 21st of August began the public hearings of the Zondo Commission in South Africa. This Judicial Commission of Inquiry was instituted by the former President Jacob Zuma on the 23rd of January 2018 to investigate allegations of state capture. It is led by the Deputy Chief Justice Ray Zondo, hence the name. The official proclamation of the Commission is to inquire, investigate and make recommendations into any and all allegations of state capture, corruption and fraud in the public sector. There are at least 11 issues identified by former public protector Tulima Dintela in her report into state capture, which the commission seeks to investigate. Some issues include the attempts to bribe a deputy minister of finance, Nwisi Jonas, the Gupta's access to ESCOM, the largest power producer in South Africa, and the possible breaches of the executive ethics code in the appointment of members of cabinet by Jacob Zuma. So far, the commission has heard testimonies from banks Banks, MPs, CEOs, Mlebisi Jonas, Finance Minister Ntantanene, and, and most recently Barbara Hogan, former Public Enterprises Minister. A recap of what has happened in the commission so far. Former Deputy Minister of Finance, Mnavisi Jonas, told the inquiry how he was invited to a meeting in 2015 at the Gupta compound by Duduzani Zuma. He said AJ Gupta told him that the former president, Jacob Zuma, was planning to fire the then finance minister, Nene, and that he could be appointed as a minister. AJ offered him $500,000 in cash if he took the job. Jonas declined. This is not the only ministerial position to have been offered. There are others that have been discussed in the commission the former head of government and communication and information services gcis tema maseko took the stand in late august and painted a grim picture of the gupta family's attempts to get their hands on government advertising money he refused to help the family and was later fired by the former president and replaced by Msonele Mani. The inquiry also heard testimonies from the country's big four banks who detailed how ANC officials Gwede Mantashe and Jesse Duarte held meetings with officials from the banks in an attempt to persuade the banks to reverse their decisions to close Gupta-related bank accounts. The now former Minister of Finance Nene appeared before the inquiry last month. He told the inquiry that he believes he was fired by Zuma in December 2015 because 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 of his refusal to implement certain projects Which include the nuclear deal Nene also admitted to attending meetings At the Gupta residence in Saxon World And also visited their Sahara offices His admission at the inquiry cost him his job He faced growing pressure to resign for lying As he said in 2015 that he had not met with the Guptas Which was contrary to his testimony at the inquiry He resigned on October 9th and was replaced by Tito Mboweni Most recently, Barbara Hogan testified about her executive power being undermined directly by the former president. She slammed the negligent and reckless behavior by Zuma in state-owned enterprises leadership. For more on the hearings, check out sastatecapture.org.za. For the most part, mainstream and independent media has covered the commission as it has happened. Daily Maverick, as expected, has led the nuanced opinion section about the commission writing about why the NC needs to appear before the commission before the DA called for it. ENCA presented an analysis using experts on the possible conflicts of interest of certain players who have a key role in the in- inquiry. Sapc News took a more forecast-oriented position when they reported on Gordon's statement and how it was expected to dominate the commission, particularly highlighting the issue of leaked statements. If you are not already corruption fatigued, Daily Maverick has published an article about a report published by Open Secrets, which illustrates that the guptas aided by NetBank and the Bank of Baroda are certainly not the be-all and end-all of corporate corruption. The report shows that looting of the VBS Bank may be astounding to struggling South Africans, but is merely a symptom of banking and auditing system that skirts the law in order to fleece the poor and enrich the rich. The report's introduction also argues that corporates engage in this kind of myth-making within a domestic and international legal framework that has many gaps in it and its ability to hold corporations accountable. Politicians come and go and can get voted out, but corporate systems which enable corruption through whoever holds office next remain. My take on this situation Is that there continues to be a stark contrast Between singling out political figures And corruption Whereas corporates get called out as a company As opposed to individuals There's almost an assumption that political figures Are lone wolves and not a part Of a larger system There continues to be a tendency to associate corruption With black figures Whereas white-led corruption is hidden behind corporate names Or unnamed Or undercovered
2: Listen, What do you
0: feel is missing in the media narrative when it comes to the discussion of corruption in general as well as the state capture inquiry. I mean, the state capture inquiry should be looking at all forms of transgressions essentially and clearly there seems to be a narrative that's unfolding here.
1: So I think what's missing particularly is that there's a difference between legal corruption and intellectual and moral corruption right so particularly when it comes to how banks for instance engage with the gupta family right so initially they're driven by profits they're not really thinking about well it's legal for the most part right it's legal for them to open an account for the gupta family it's legal for them to you know what i mean like at the beginning but it's really what we're talking about here is okay what is the account used for and what is the moral you know corruption perspective and i think what's happening is the media is bombarding us with a lot of information about the inquiry
0: Ricardo, do you agree with the sentiment that the media has found it easy to go on a let's use this person as the symbol of corruption and it's usually a black person in all honesty rather than saying let's look at corruption as a systemic issue and how to address it because then it speaks to white systems or systems that were generated by white folk
2: honestly in the united states at least i don't think there's a racial component at least not a strong racial component to corruption right And this is mainly because there aren't many black people in positions to be corrupt, (laughs) to be honest with you. So, you know, if you don't have power and influence, who are you corrupting, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, And obviously in South Africa and African nations, this is a different concept. So I'd like to compare and contrast. uh, That's
0: a nice picture that you're actually drawing here, because it's not to say that there aren't corruption scandals in America. There are. There are talks about addressing the cultural practice of corruption in America.
2: Right. (laughs) Um, But here's the thing, uh, and I think Boosie made a great point about this, is that even here, media, they don't say, wow, this entire system is corrupt or there might be systemic corruption in this industry or in this section of government they go this person is corrupt and then that person is then vilified for all the corruption everywhere essentially you know i think in the united states corruption is there but i think it's much more covert you know you find less instances of overt corruption you know um because it's something that is prosecuted really harshly here to be honest with you even probably in many instances overly prosecuted for some people you know for example, you know, you're running a, some kind of charitable organization and uh, you miscount some figures or whatever have you, and you end up going to jail for five years. You know, and you're like, wait, wait, but it was an honest accident. I'll give you back the money. No, no, no. We, we need a scapegoat. We need an example made of someone. And these are usually low-hanging fruit that we see prosecuted in such a way, while CEOs who embezzle and hide billions are like, ah, oh, no, you're fine. You know, but they've always find like this little person to hold up for, to vilify for all the corruption. The only exception I can think of was Bernie Madoff in the last 10 years in the United States. And you know, that's different because he was stealing from other rich white men, so I mean... (laughs) (laughs) He was stealing from other powerful white people. They didn't like that one, not even a bit. But
0: do you think in part the reason why The media has persisted with vilifying black people when it comes to uh, corruption. It's because of the imbalance that lies socially, at least you have this dichotomy where political power is with black people but economic power is with white people.
1: Absolutely. I do think those things shape the way that we discuss corruption. It's about who has the power in the media to say what. And um, and I mean, even with the mainstream media, you see that it's not very opinion run, right? Like they're not saying, oh, corruption is bad. And we heard this about the president. Obviously, he was wrong. They're kind of just saying, well, this is what happened at the commission today, right? So there isn't really a strong stance for or against what's happening right now as the commission unfolds. Right? So I do think that they're trying to maintain almost like a, a neutral stance and I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing in this context.
0: But it's easy to be neutral about a, a story that you have already won the boardroom politics And I mean, when you look at the State Capture Inquiry in itself, it's supposed to be initially about state capture in general, but it has been narrowed into a 10-year period so how much neutrality can there really be when we already know that this is what the main battle was about
1: of course and i also think there's a a huge push to basically say state capture is equal to zuma and guptas right like there's a very strong Mm -hmm. push to 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 basically direct it in that particular direction as opposed to saying there are multiple players here and this is how it really unfolded as a larger epidemic right it wasn't just zuma's not the one who woke up one day and said hey I'm going to start state capture with the Scoopta family, right? Like that's not how it worked <laughs> out. But that's how it's it's going towards actually when you listen to the commission and how um people are testifying. Um it, it is really to vilify one particular person, but we know that corruption is a network.
0: Ricardo, there are sentiments at least in the public held by black folk and some would even argue that okay, these are probably pro Zuma people for having this kind of sentiment. But it's that the state capture inquiry is more of a reiteration of media stories that were there because some of the witnesses have been asked whether they're actually producing any new evidence apart from things that we already know uh, that already were reported in the media. You have a person coming to the commission and saying, I was at the Gupta residence and then they produce... A picture of the gates of the Gupta residence and that picture comes from a media outlet ah. and they say that's <laughs> evidence <laughs> uh,
2: okay so just a, a random in an image off the internet is evidence now that's the mm. level of integrity of this inquiry uh, I mean and this is is actually admissible as evidence though or <laughs> please tell yes, me they
0: laugh it's at accepted it.
1: No, no No, it's accepted
0: These no, kind of things are accepted No, though. you
1: can't It's a, it's a public that. hearing No, it's a public hearing it's a public So it's not like a It's not a typical oh. court Evidence-based No, it's to be.
0: court-based But it's a public hearing That will have Recommendations that the president Would have to
2: No, definitely but you shouldn't be a, Even allowed thing. to show something like that Because people who aren't paying attention Just sees a picture and go Aha, look, he was there or she was there <laughs> You shouldn't allow people to unduly influence the public in that manner I mean, if that's the case Then I mean, someone can just walk up with a Gupta mannequin and say Yes, <laughs> Gupta, you know, I got this from the Guptas Look, it looks
1: like him, right? So,
2: obviously he posed for this Like, I mean but You
1: know even, even the two Guptas didn't even show up for the trial, right? So, I, I think it's not really a trial Let me not say it's a trial Even two of the Gupta family did not show up to the hearings so I think that's where we need to understand, like, if the recommendation is that this needs to go to court, I don't think that this evidence would be admissible in that instance. I think, obviously, it's got repercussions for how we perceive corruption in our country and who was involved and so forth. But I think when it comes to the legal battle, then it, it's a different ball game altogether. I would hope
0: think. so, Busi. But then uh, I'm wondering, what's the role of the media in making these stories accessible to the ordinary person i mean we have heard these accounts before so where you've had trials before in which there was analysis of stories this time around people do editorialize quite a lot and we are told of how heart wrenching some of these stories are for example the barbara hogan story where she takes umbrage with the fact that she went to the president's residence with her husband on an official meeting and she's upset that her husband was not included in the meeting that is something that makes headlines and is a discussion point for journalists
2: early in the conversation when we're talking about just um corruption how black corruption is often viewed differently as white corruption or systemic corruption right and i was wondering do you guys feel that ethical or moral corruption plays into this? Because I've often heard, especially racist people, say, you can't trust black people because they're poor, they can't be trusted with our money. They're mm. more susceptible mm. co- to corruption than us white people who are used to responsibility. You know, like, mm. so it's like these people don't have the moral fortitude not to be corrupt. And I think that's. I mean, even amongst Black people, I know Black people that don't bank at a Black bank because they think that Black people steal their money. I'm not kidding.
1: Everybody's corrupt. Like, actually, like, I feel everybody's like the more I read racist. these things, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I'm just like, guys, I'm tired. <laughs> like, because the more I read these articles, the more I'm just like, okay, politicians are corrupt, banks are corrupt, corporates are corrupt. Then everybody's just corrupt, right? Like, systematically. Right. Is it's it's by design, and I think that's another thing. Is like I think sometimes people want to say, "Oh, this wasn't necessarily corruption because it's legal, right?" Mm-hmm. So this whole notion of what is legal and what is not, and what is illegal is corrupt, and this notion that all things legal cannot be corrupt—it's Right. It's kind of and messed then up, we right? Talk it's to like
2: ethics and legality as well, because you can do something yeah. totally legal but it's not ethical. If that's the case,
0: though, isn't it? hard or shouldn't it be harder for some people to take the moral high ground because the discussion around corruption not only should it be about how systemic it is i think definitely that's where the discussion should be headed but at least also we should see the dilemma that is the morality around corruption and how corruption is seen don't you feel that that's been missing in the discourse
1: Absolutely, I just feel like you know what I feel like I feel like we haven't it's like corruption has become this panacea of all things right like I think we haven't actually defined corruption as a society and there's things that we like oh bribery is corruption obviously right but there's other things where we actually don't know what the real true definition of corruption is right and so if you look Mm -hmm. at like Transparency International how they define corruption is different from the way i learned corruption in my institutional economics course right what is corruption in that case what is corruption in different spheres of study? so i think there's a way in which like there's there's a missing definition there
0: and beyond that how it also varies from region to region nationality course, to right. nationality right because i'll give you those an example
2: if whatever institution you worked at, right, um, you had sway over the hiring and firing of employees and I was looking for a job and I said, eh, man, I really need a job. You said, you know what? I'm going to hook you up. Are you being corrupt? Or are you helping a friend
0: to make it a little bit more complicated? If you qualify as the friend, just like anybody else. Is it still being corrupt and is it still being unethical? Especially if we're talking about fixing the injustices of the past. If I know that you do come from a previously disadvantaged group, you were oppressed, marginalized as a people, and so now here you are, you have the qualification, the expertise that match the other people who who are privileged. So does it still make it corruption? You know, know. these are complexities that we need to think about when we talk about corruption.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I think how my my professor would argue this is that corruption does not always yield negative outcomes as an overall, right? Like not necessarily Mm -hmm. like directly, like if you look at the, the bribe might be wrong, but what if the person uses the bribe to donate to five kids to go to school? Will we still think it's a bad thing that he took that bribe initially, right? so Mm. there's real complexities to the definition and how we view corruption and i think the word corruption is just being thrown around a lot like these people are corrupt oh the politicians are corrupt oh you know what i mean so i I Mm, do think we mm. need to almost go back to basics and stop using this word in the way that it's being used now
0: Ricardo, as as a black person what would you like to see from a quote-unquote free media in terms of how it reports on issues of corruption you know uh uh, at times people think that we just want it to be about revenge but it's not about that surely we are seeking fair reporting just reporting reporting that is cognizant of all these facets and how they occur and play out in society so I'm just interested to know from your perspective
2: I would like to see, for starters, especially mainstream, the big media, right, cover the potential detriment to the public or the inane effects of whatever corruption they're they're looking into. Because like, Boosie just pointed out, there might be some kind of ethical ambiguity or something going on that isn't necessarily up to par, but I also want to see, like, but what about the things that are borderline legal, but hurt much more people, you know, mm-hmm. economically, mm-hmm. socially, culturally? I'll give you an example. Donald Trump and his cabinet. So the person who in the Department of Energy, the person who is responsible for um, safety and regulations for offshore oil drilling, he's from louisiana and he actually gave out his phone number to oil ceos to call him personally to make deals all the man is responsible for is security of off oil drilling right the security of the land and the people who are working on these oil rigs why is he cutting deals with oil ceo like to me he technically he didn't do anything illegal but Morally and ethically, I think that's a bigger concern than somebody that's who, questionable. Yeah, than someone who used uh, $500 of discretional funds to buy food for the homeless or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> And also,
0: to perhaps even grapple with the notion of what the greater good is, Busi, wouldn't you say? I mean, the greater good as an idea in South Africa, it could mean so many different things for different sections of our country
1: yeah certainly i think that's that's the thing it's like it's what what are we trying to achieve outcomes and i think sometimes you assume what people want is the same whereas we live in a very (laughs) unequal society and even from neighborhood to neighborhood it's different right like uh, the what people consider a need in one neighborhood is different from another and mm-hmm. what is happening it's that it's also that disconnect right like so there's all this money floating around at top levels whereas at the bottom levels we're not even thinking about those billions of rands. we just want the road tied. <laughs> do you mm-hmm. know what i mean so mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. right yeah mm. who's the like you know what i mean like we're not trying to be like hey you know what i mean so i think that that's that's a real consideration that people sometimes overlook is that people do feel disconnected from these large sums of money right that are being thrown around people are like what do you mean someone can build a house for 350 million like that is not even a reality to them right so how mm-hmm. we talk about corruption as well it can also be very exclusive um, and how we talk about these commissions can be very exclusive and can actually it, it excludes a lot of people from the dialogue
0: i think for me it's also about not playing into the political dynamics. You know, trying to acknowledge that politicians are just politicians. And yes, it's good for person A to be writing out person B because we're going to have a good story out of this. And it's a matter of public interest. But beyond that, make the readers aware of these dynamics you know don't shy away from them because now it suits your agenda to serve a political faction you know long term these kind of things have adverse consequences for society you you need a media that is truly independent and reliable on many respects that you can come back to and say you know what when shit was hitting the fan, so to speak, you knew how to dissociate yourself and say that, yes, this is wrong, what, what we're being told here, but we also understand that there are politics at play. When
2: we talk about independent media, it's, ve- it's very, very hard for big media as we know it to be independent as long as they have a economic advantage to giving us bits and pieces of entertaining new stories and not informationally based stories right if the media is put in a position where they're going to get let's say one million viewers and and but yet have to compromise that and say but we also have this story that we real feel is really important but most people won't understand it and it's only going to get 250,000 viewers. They're going to go with the flashy story. They are. Or they're going to try to make the information flashy and bury it in fluff. <laughs> you know? And that's I think the most disheartening thing about media uh, today.
0: And that's a moral dilemma in itself, isn't it?
2: sure because
0: yeah it would be unfair for some of us if we said that's perhaps corrupt behavior you know but you know it's within the realm of possibility to be able to make those kind of decisions you know what greater good are you serving then are you serving the greater good of your board members and your shareholders or the audience that you purport to be giving the truth regardless what 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 Thank you for joining us for this episode, we hope you have enjoyed it. Uh, please tell your friends, your family, your lovers to join in. And thank you for being part of TTPIA for all this time and have always listened. We really, really appreciate it. Please give us your feedback. And we are looking forward to having these discussions with you on Facebook. The thinking behind it all, that's our page. Or Twitter handle is at TTBIA underscore. Until we meet next time, your silence is concession. Shop, 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 sharp.